Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 245, Phantasms. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, seeing which characters are learning, which characters we can learn from, and which characters are the most dreamy. This week, Phantasms, the one where Data dreams, again, and turns homicidal, again. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first... I want to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, when I wrote the intro, John, mm-hmm. I had thought about saying uh, this week, Phantasms, the one with the scary pinballs with the knives coming straight at you. Oh, yeah. Great, yeah. great movie. Different from this episode. Was it a great movie? Because I actually never saw it. I remember it coming out when I was like a, like a, like a kid. Yeah. Like probably first or second grade. And I remember just the commercials just mm-hmm. scared the crud out of me. Like, I, yeah. I have never seen the movie, and yet I still think it's probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. The, and there's a lot of good story behind that movie. First of all, you got a cool car in that movie. But uh, second of all, this is a movie made, like, on a total shoestring, amateur filmmakers, and it, it, it took on a life of its own. And there is a fabulous Blu-ray of that movie. Wait, are we... We're still talking about Phantasm. Yes, we're talking about... Because <laughs> we're doing Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend seeing Phantasm if you like uh, cool, weird horror. Yeah. I was actually going to give you one bit of Phantasm trivia. Okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, Captain Phasma from um, from uh, The Force Awakens. Force Awakens, yeah. Yeah, was named after Phantasm. That's why she has like the sh- the shiny, like sort of silvery armor. Cool. Just because J.J. Abrams was so into uh, was so into that movie that he wanted to do something. Because really, why not pollute Star Wars with a thousand other things? Mm-hmm. You know, J.J. Uh, yeah. Abrams. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. He directed an episode of Star Trek. Wait, you're kidding me. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's so I'm going I'm to have to double check that, but neat. I think okay. that's true. I, I don't think do. we've come to it yet. So okay. when we eventually do, we'll have to be sure and bring that up. And uh, what an influence he was on this episode of Next Gen. <laughs> yes. We just made it very complicated for our <laughs> listeners. Good job. May have. Yeah. yeah. I, I assume, though, because I did the trivia about, you know, Star Wars, for crying out loud. I assume you have some Star Trek trivia for us this week. Sure. I'll try to untangle that. So, trivia for this week's episode, Phantasms. The episode was written by Brandon Braga because, of course, it was. Because we know that Brandon likes to explore dark themes in his work. And this one is right up his alley. You got dreams. You got creepy aliens. You got body horror. Just the whole shebang. This has got Brandon written all over it because Brannon wrote all over it. It was directed by Patrick Stewart. Now, of course, we know that Stewart had started flexing his directorial muscles on TNG, directing one episode in each season, uh, four, five, and six. This is his first for season seven, and he will direct one more before we wrap it all up. Um, We have a nice look at the practical holodeck set here, even though it got some digital love in the remasters, if you happen to be watching that in HD on the Blu-rays, mainly just adjusting the thickness of those yellow lines, kind of straightening stuff out. Um, 
Other remastered areas obviously have a lot to do with the alien creatures, which were given a lot more detail, though the, the spirit and the style of those effects stays very, very close to the original. Um, oh, we have a nice look at that space dock model at the beginning of Act One, that same model that, of course, was built for Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And if, again, you're watching it in HD, you're going to see a really nice image of that space dock with the Enterprise D pulling away. Hey, Sigmund Freud, just in case there's one listener in our audience who doesn't know. Yeah, Sigmund Freud was born in Austria in 1856, and uh, he's the guy who created the field of psychoanalysis, focusing on theories of sexuality, dream analysis. And you may have heard us talk about some Freudian ideas on this very show in the past, ideas like id, ego, superego. That's all Freud. That's where it comes from. Got one other Freudian thing here. Not a Freudian thing, but I got another thing about Freud. Do it. Um, actually got an email from a listener to the show who said that she has been to Freud's office, mm -hmm. like his original you know, office mm -hmm. where he actually worked, said that, uh, that the um, office in this episode is very similar. Oh, nice. Nice that they, they did that. Yeah. Like, so all these ideas that we have of like, you know, what Freud was like and like mm -hmm. his surroundings and all that. Yeah. Apparently based in, um, I guess, fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. Right. I know. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, now, of course, this is the episode that launched a meme. Android phone with unlimited data. No. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's very... Yes. Uh-huh. I love it. Hey, there's a phrase in here, turnabout is fair play. I mean, I, I think a pretty well-known idiom. And, and I thought that this was from a play, but no, it's just an American idiom from the late 18th century. And it has stuck with us all these many hundred years by the time you get to the time period of this episode. Um, let's see. The creatures are from the planet Thanatos IV, even though Geordi has a slightly different pronunciation. So I kind of missed it the first time, actually. Then I saw it with subtitles like, oh, Thanatos, of course, not Thanatos, whereas he says it. Um, Thanatos is the Greek personification of death. So oh. the aptly named place that uh, these guys would be from. Sounds like a vacation paradise. Yeah, it's beautiful this time of year. Now let's talk about guest stars. We have Bernard Cates as Sigmund Freud. And Bernard started his professional on-screen career in the late 1940s. And he worked pretty regularly in film and TV as well as theater. He was in the 1961 film Judgment at Nuremberg, and he had a regular stint on The Guiding Light, and we lost him in 2010. When was he on The Guiding Light? When was he on The Guiding Light? Did he know the Zaz? Oh, you know what? I think they did. he was on for three years, and I want to say it was in the 80s. Man, there might have been some crossover that could He might have known the Zaz. He might, yeah, he might have. And then who was the one that was like the expert on the Borg, but she wasn't really an expert on the Borg? Ah, uh, curly blonde hair, sort of on Riker's level. She was a commander, I think, or a lieutenant commander, maybe. She like served Shelby. under Riker. Shelby, yes, the one who knew about the Borg, right? Uh, also from The Guiding Light. Yeah. So yeah. she may have known the Zaz, and she may have known Mr. Cates. I smell a new podcast coming. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm tired just thinking about that. <laughs> we have Ensign Tyler, played by Gina Rivara, and we have Gina's only Trek appearance here, but you may have seen her before in the movie Kiss the Girls or in 1995's infamous Showgirls. We have Admiral Nakamura here, played by Clyde Kusatsu, and we did meet the Admiral, and therefore Clyde, once before in The Measure of a Man, and we will see him one more time before Next Gen is over. And the three Dream State workmen who represent the alien infestation, well, two of them are unknown, and the third was played by David Crowley. Uh, in fact, Crowley is the only one given an on-screen credit because... Well, that's what happens sometimes when, even if screen time is equal, you're the only one with any lines, because you got to save that budget. New Warp Core Day. New Warp Core Day. The Enterprise has a new Warp Core. And it still has that new Warp Core smell.
prologue. Data is having a work dream. Hey, that's right, Data is dreaming again. But it's a work dream. Jordy tells Data that they have to install a new plasma conduit to get the new warp core online. In a half-taunting, half-ominous way, Jordy calls out, This ought to be a lot of fun, as Data walks away. On his dreamy way to dream engineering, Data spots three early 20th century laborers using a hammer, a pickaxe, and a crowbar to dismantle a warp plasma conduit. They don't respond to his questions. In fact, they don't acknowledge him at all until Data starts emitting a sort of piercing, high-frequency sound. It's then that one of the workers tells Data to be quiet. Then they tear the android limb from limb. Then he wakes up. Act 1. Data's dreams were based, at least in part, in reality. In his log, Captain Picard says Geordi has completed installation of the new warp core. They plan to test its capabilities. Picard seems troubled, though. He has to go to the annual Starfleet Admiral's Banquet. He's been ducking it for years, but he's run out of excuses. He has to go. In engineering, Data's kind of freaked out about his dream, which he's thinking was, in fact, a nightmare. Yeah, says Geordi, those happen. Seriously, though, Data can't shake the images in his dream. He is really preoccupied. Yeah, says Geordi, that happens too. Speaking of nightmares, Geordi has an ensign, Ensign Tyler, who is really in love with him. Like puppy love. Like everything he does is awesome. He's not into her, but he's afraid to hurt her feelings. Data says he'll do it. Talk to Tyler, that is, not hurt her feelings. Though Geordi says he'll take care of it. Anyway, warp core. After a call from the bridge, it turns on fine, but it will not go. A little digging and Geordi finds that there's a warp plasma conduit out of alignment. He fixes it and it still won't go. Data takes the warp engines offline and everything starts working again. Well, everything except the warp core. Later, Counselor Troy stops by to talk to Data about his dreams. Jordy was worried and suggested that she chat with him. Data's disabled his dream program, though Troy says he should turn it back on and that he shouldn't be afraid of the dark imagery. It's just his subconscious, assuming he has one, trying to tell his waking mind something. As Sigmund Freud said, dreams are the royal road to the knowledge of the mind. And with that, Data will give dreaming another go. And it gets dark. The dream takes Data to 10 Ford, where Worf is enjoying a slice of cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. At the bar, Dr. Crusher is drinking from a complacent Commander Riker's head through a straw. Not violently, just casually. Like you would a cocktail or a milkshake. Yes, it is as creepy as it sounds. What actually has Riker upset is the telephone that he hears ringing. We heard it in Data's first nightmare as well. Riker wants Data to answer it. Data says he will. He's distracted, though, by the three early 20th century laborers. They are gathered around the cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. Which is also Counselor Troy. She asks Data to please not hurt her, then begins to scream as he starts to slice the cake. Which is Counselor Troy. The dream is interrupted by Troy, Worf, and Geordi waking Data. He's overslept, which has never happened before. Something is wrong. Act 2. Well, there's nothing wrong. At least nothing in Data's head that Geordi can find. Geordi thinks Data's oversleeping could be done by design. Maybe Dr. Sung wanted Data to oversleep from time to time to give him more of the human experience. Also, what were you dreaming about when we woke you? Data says he would like more time to analyze the dream images before speaking of them. In other words, he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, not with Geordi. He goes to the holodeck, though, to talk with Sigmund Freud. We're kind of into comedy at this point. Freud is very Freudian. The early 20th century labors are the id, trying to conquer the ego. Troy is Data's mother, whom Data wants to possess. After a little bit more, Data is done. He ends the program and takes off. On the bridge, more funny comedy jokes. It's Admiral Nakamura, upset that Captain Picard has not shown up yet for the Admiral's picnic. Picard assures the Admiral that he wants to be there, and he will. 
as soon as they get the warp core working. Speaking of which, Jordy says the warp core is ready to rock. Of course, it's not. Not only will the ship not go at warp, the attempt has blown the power converter. Even pulse engines won't work. And they are so far away from Tashi Station. Back in engineering, Ensign Tyler's still being creepy. Jordy hasn't had time to talk to her yet. He does have some busy work for Data, though. He wants Data to check a brace coil for microfractures. Handing it to the android. Whoa, weird. The brace coil looks exactly like the knife Data used to cut the Deanna Troy cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. You know what's even more weird, though? That creepy, icky mouth that just opened on the back of Jordy's neck. In the distance, a telephone rings. And oh my goodness, we are in another Data dream. Engineering is empty, except for Data and Commander Riker, still with a straw sticking out of his head, demanding that Data answer that phone. The phone in Data's midsection. Data answers and is told by Dr. Freud to kill them. Kill them all. You must kill them all before it's too late. This dream interrupted by Geordi snapping Data out of it. He is still standing in non-dream engineering holding the brace coil to his head like a phone. And he does not know what is wrong. Act 3. Data speaking again with Counselor Troy. He's seeing things from the dream in real life now, and it has him worried. Troy says if Data was human, she'd say he was having waking dreams or hallucinating. But he's not human, so she figures the problem must be technical. Data says it is not. Okay, then maybe you're becoming self-obsessed, really getting into your inner workings. As you become more human, maybe you're prone to human neural conditions as well. The idea seems to please Data. You know, the real-life boy thing. Troy thinks they should start counseling sessions, and in the meantime, she wants him to turn off his dream program, just until they know it's safe. With absolutely nothing to do, Captain Picard is in engineering, trying to find something to do. He wants to help, but he's really not helping. Ensign Tyler asks for the captain's assistance, mostly to get Picard out of Geordi's hair. With the captain gone, Geordi starts to ask Data for help on something. But Data is gone. The last time we saw him, the brace coil that looks like the cake knife had caught his attention. Now the brace coil's gone, too. Oh, there it is, in Data's hand. He tells Counselor Troy to be very still as he begins stabbing her with it. This is not a dream. Act 4. Riker and Worf are heading into the turbo lift that Data is heading out of with the bloody brace coil. Data goes to stab Riker, but is overpowered by the two officers. Data sort of seems to be snapping out of it, as Riker calls medics for Troy. Data explains. There was a mouth on Troy's shoulder, and a straw coming out of Riker's head, and he had to eliminate them. These are images from his dream state. He has no rational explanation for them. He just had an urge to eliminate them. Jordy says they'll run more tests on Data. In the meantime, the android is relieved of duty and confined to his quarters. In sickbay, Troy is woken up and she is freaked out. Dr. Crusher tells her she's fine. Data's not there and her wound should be healed. When she removes the healing doohickey from the wound, though, well, that's odd. There's still a mark. And there's cellular degradation, not tied to the stabbing. And there's some sort of residual interphasic signature. A quick look-see with an interphasic scanner, and wow, and ooh, there is a thing from another dimension feeding on Deanna's shoulder. And on Crusher's arm. And on Riker's head. And on Picard's neck. Everyone who's infected is seeing cellular decay. Nearly everyone is infected and the things that are causing it are spreading. Act 5. It turns out these things are feeding on the cellular peptides of the Enterprise crew. If they don't figure out how to stop them, the crew members will lose all cellular cohesion and collapse into a few pounds of chemicals. EM radiation hasn't worked. Subspace fields haven't worked. Thermal protons haven't worked. Have they tried stabbing them? Oh, wait, yes. Yes, they did. Hey, remember that part about Data's dreams? He's the only one not infected. Picard thinks the organisms and the issue with Data may be connected. 
Jordy realizes that the organisms are turning up where Data had his dream imagery. The straw on Riker's head, the mouth on Troy's shoulder. Now Jordy and Picard want to play Dreamscape. They'll hook Data's head up to the holodeck and walk around in his dreams, seeing if they can learn more about the creatures from the imagery presented. Those are about the same. Crusher sucking Riker's brains out through a straw, the Deanna Troy cellular peptide cake with mint frosting, Worf eating the Deanna Troy cellular peptide cake with mint frosting, and through it all, the ringing of a telephone. Geordi finally finds the phone in Data's torso, though he says the call is for Picard. Kill them, says the voice. Kill them before it's too late. When Picard asks who this is, he, Geordi, and Data appear in the office of Dr. Sigmund Freud. Freud figures he's a manifestation of Data's subconscious trying to warn Data about the multiphasic organisms. When the phone starts ringing again, Freud tells Picard to answer it. But he doesn't mean answer the phone. He means respond to the organisms. But he is silenced by the three early 20th century laborers. They shoot Freud, then reveal a warp plasma conduit behind Freud's office wall. The same conduit Data's seen in his dreams the whole time, and... More importantly, the same conduit Geordi installed ahead of the new Warp Corps. Asked who they are, the three early 20th century laborers say they are Picard's enemies. They turn on him with their tools, though they're stopped by Data, who has gone back to emitting a high-pitched whine. When Picard says that that sound is hurting them, Data figures it out. A high-frequency interphasic pulse should rid the ship of the organisms. And it does. It turns out the warp plasma conduit was manufactured with a new interphasic process. That process attracted the transdimensional organisms, which lay dormant until the Enterprise fired up the new warp core. With the organisms gone, they'll have to manufacture a new warp plasma conduit, which will take six hours, which means Picard's going to miss the Admiral's picnic. Pity. Also, Data and Troy sit down to a few slices of data-shaped cake, the end. Um, hmm. there was a there was a, a thing in your recap, and and if I recall correctly from the episode, mm-hmm. um, you, you mentioned that there was Ensign Tyler, mm-hmm. and uh, she has this crush on Jordy. Yep, and and then he's he's not really into it, and then that that moment kind of comes back again a little bit later. Yep, and then uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Nothing else about that. Right. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Just wanted okay. Just wanted to make sure that I didn't completely zone out at a certain point. Um This is another yeah. gumbification thing too, because when's the last time Jordy saw a woman who was attractive who was interested in him that he was like, Got no time for that? Mm, thank you. Yes. That was the other thing I was trying to <laughs> yeah. put a finger on there. Yeah. That was um it was a little surprising. Now I will say uh she was annoying. Mm-hmm. She was just plain annoying. I mean, she was played. Sure. There's a little bit of invasion of the body snatchers going on in this episode. Maybe a lot of invasion of the body snatchers going on in this episode. And it was as if she had already been taken over. Now, of course, they're not actually, <laughs> right. you know, like taking over minds. They're just going to, you know, suck away all their cellular cohesion and drop them like a five pound bag of chemicals, apparently. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was like she was like horror show creepy. Like if she had ended up being part of Data's dream somehow, that would have made sense to me. Except then we'd have to figure out, you know, how she was there and why. Right. Um, I got to say, it's a joke all the way through it. I hate the whole Admiral's Banquet thing uh, for two reasons. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Yes. First, I know that we know that Starfleet Admirals are pinheads at best. Uh But are the Admirals supposed to know that everyone thinks that as well? (laughs) Well. Because Nakamura hmm. is certainly, he's aware that Picard is ducking them. And yeah. if, he, if he's aware enough of that, he's got to be aware of why. Yeah. And then you got to ask yourself, why do they make people who don't want to be there come? Yeah. All right. So that's the first thing. Um, also, the captain of the Federation's flagship just said, our warp core is Buster. And Nakamura is like, yeah, OK, but I'm having a party. So I need you mm-hmm. here. Right. And then Picard <laughs> calls him back and he's like, uh, so listen, our, uh, our warp core is gone. In fact, we can't even move. Like if I had two oars, I would have a better chance of moving this ship than I do currently. Right. And Nakamura right. is like, seriously, my party starts at six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing just kind of bothered me a tiny bit. 
Yeah. Uh, it bothered me. We might even talk about that again at some point. Okay. But I, I, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it, it, it bothered me. But we'll talk about the writing maybe at the end of the episode here. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's another writing thing. Maybe, uh, or maybe it's an actor thing and maybe it's a director thing. Data's falling asleep ritual. The yawn, the stretching of the art. Now, I, I get it. I get that you can justify that Data does things out of mimicry. Right. To try to understand the ritual. Yes. From a human perspective, you know. I, so I, I, I get that. But um, he's apparently watching a lot of silent movies. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. yeah it was something from a different era and it, it didn't necessarily ring true for me. Yeah. Um. Oh, and there's another funny bit that Picard is in the way. Mm -hmm. So I, th this is actually a funny bit in the episode that I, I kind of like. I kind of appreciate. Uh, the joke might go on a little bit too long. But then I kept thinking, you know, aren't there really – there's like a thousand other people on the ship. And they, and they all have work to do, especially when you're adrift and the engines aren't working. They, really, everybody's got a job to do. And I would think that the person who does have a job to do as well would be the captain. He probably has other things that he needs to be concerned about and sort of like, I'm going to restack these isolinear chips and, mm. you know, like he's just going to screw up everything. I don't know, though. Ultimately, the captain does run the ship, but the ship's not running. And so mm -hmm. it reminded me, honestly, there's a fantastic uh, thing that happens with Josh Lyman on an episode of The West Wing. Mm -hmm. And I can't – was Josh – Josh wasn't chief of staff. What was Josh? Senior communications director? Or was that Toby? Uh, that, well, see, I thought he was chief of staff. But, uh, well yeah, – I don't anyway. remember. But was, anyway, Josh yeah. has – like Josh always has something to do. He always has a lot to do. And there's this one mm -hmm. fantastic episode where he's like checking on has everybody done everything. And it turns out everybody's either done everything or they're working on it. And he just stands there and he's like, I have nothing to do. Right. And you can tell that it's like it is not something he's used to and it's not even something he's prepared to deal with. And so I kind of like the I, I, I appreciated that Picard thing just because it reminded me of that. Because yeah. Picard is a guy who's got, you know, as you say, there are a thousand people who serve under him. And, you know, until they do everything they have to do, he can't really do what he has to do. So then he's like, he's not like cracking the whip behind them the way a Jellico would necessarily. But he's like, can I can I. Can I maybe get that for you? Can I can I restock those things? Can I please, for the love of God, can I do something? I would think that he would know better to not get in the way. But it, look, he's got a fish to feed. <laughs> he's got um, he's got email to write because I know that I do, and if I do, I know that Picard does. Yeah. Um, so I'm just saying he's he's got things to do. Um, oh, there is a, a great uh, Patrick Stewart line delivery here. Straw. <laughs> Wow. I, I, I forget the episode where we pointed out that he, he had some line. Seven. That seven. The, the yeah, line seven. Of was seven. Seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, because the other numbers, that meant something to you? Really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so I love that. But then my other favorite Picard line in this episode, how do we kill them? Hmm. It, because... In practically every other episode of Star Trek, we're waiting for the point where it's, well, how do we communicate with them? Can we how do we learn what they need? Yeah. Can we talk to them? Can we help get them out of the ship so that they can go on their way? And we got And he just cuts right to the chip. How do we kill them? You know, and that's uh, yeah. I actually had a hard time keeping it straight in my mind that they weren't things to talk to. I think it's because the phone kept mm -hmm. ringing and because they looked like workers and because they did seem to say something. But then I had to remember, no, those are all things that are actually made up in Data's head. Right. Data's right. brain is trying to tell him something that his brain, for some reason, can't get itself around. And so it's mm -hmm. throwing in all these other things that are like, hey, you know, maybe this will make more sense to you, which is honestly yeah. something that's always vexed me about dreams. Like, I'd really rather... I actually wrote an essay about it one time. It's like, why, why, why does my brain think it's a better idea to sound like, you know, a four-year-old fat kid to tell me something that's obviously supposed to be me, <laughs> right? As opposed to my brain, just like as soon as I fall asleep, my brain going, listen, this girl you're seeing, it's not working, dude. Seriously. <laughs> or whatever. That's, that's actually an amalgamation of a dream. That's not, I'll tell you the real dream sometime. And um, yeah, that can be like a thousand dollar level of Patreon. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, there was another thing. Uh, we're sort of, I guess maybe it's as we're getting to the end of uh, season seven, or mm -hmm. as we're getting you know towards the end of the run of Next Gen, it may just be call back a go-go from now on. 
Mm-hmm. Were you like me as soon as you heard that Deanna had an interphasic something on her arm? Were you afraid that Crusher was just going to shoot her into the nearest star? <laughs> that would that would be her uh, her response to everything. Yeah, that, that yeah. is her mo when it comes to interphasic whatever. It's like, oh well, you know what we should do. Yeah, just fly into a sun. Yeah, <laughs> give me one of them old. Do we have any of those old torpedo tubes they used to shoot right. people out into space with? <laughs> Get one of those and just aim me towards a star, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll have this licked in no time. Um, remember how on Interface we were talking about how the, you know that episode was so wrapped up in the technology of the episode, and we kept saying, "Oh man, why do you have this going on mm-hmm. when you could just have a holodeck?" And do all the stuff you need to do. Figure out what you need to figure out through the holodeck or something like that. Well, finally. Hang on one second. I know it was Mm -hmm. only a few weeks ago, but for people who don't remember, Interface is the one where Jordy was basically doing virtual reality, except he was not in the giant virtual reality rig they have, which is the holodeck. Right. Rather, he was like interfacing with a physical probe that was someplace else. So just a reminder for people who don't remember. There we go. And you were saying... And I was saying, finally, we get a great use of the holodeck. Yeah. That, that this was a really an inspired idea to be able to act out Data's dream and have other people in it by just hooking up the holodeck because he can, because he's a walking computer. Um, we could have been doing this all along. You don't even need <laughs> to be a walking computer, though. Remember what happened to Barclay when Barclay no, of course. Like, yeah. know, was getting too yeah. smart, too big for his britches, some might say. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with like, like people and communication and movement was just really slowing down his um, his his capacity to do. And yep. so he like hooked himself up to the enterprise computer through the holodeck. Why, yeah. why have we not been working this? Bruce Maddox isn't busy. Call him. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, I, I will point out that I, I do think it's uh, another funny comedy bit. Uh, Worf, you you set up the joke earlier on where he describes the cake, the cellular peptide cake with the mint frosting. Mm-hmm. But then later on, you know, half an hour later, you come back to him talking through eating that cake. Still uh, talking about the mint frosting. Nice little uh, nice little call back there within the episode. There were actually two, and I didn't mention either one in the recap because they didn't move the story along. But mm-hmm. there were actually two funny things, I thought, with Riker. Um, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. with Worf. Uh, the first one is with Riker. The conversation between Riker and Worf about the jazz playlist that Riker has given Alexander. <laughs> and Worf's yes, like, it's terrible. Yes. It makes no, it's, it's, it doesn't sound like anything. It's just, you know, uh, people mm-hmm. banging on stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, Riker says... It's better than music. It's jazz. And I'm thinking, Worf has heard Klingon opera. (laughs) Hey, I have the beholder, man. I I guess guess that's it. And then the Mm -hmm. other one, again, Mm -hmm. I didn't mention it in the recap because it didn't really do anything for the episode. Although it did, if you go ahead and put it back to back with what happened in Gambit uh, between um, Data and Worf. So Worf is dismissive of Data on the bridge. Um, and Data takes him into the ready room and says, listen, I can find somebody else to do this job, all right? You either do the job the way I tell you to do the job, or I'll bounce you back down to security, and I'll have somebody else step in as second in command. And then having done his duty, Data apologizes to Worf if he has ended their friendship. And I talked on the last episode how it was like one of the most human interchanges, you know, between the the android and the Klingon. Um, It was just full of pathos, I thought. And, and we get we get a really human interchange again, like you know when when Data's like I, I'm afraid to have Spot around while I'm you know loopy, I'm afraid I'll hurt him. So will you please take care of my cat? And Worf's like yes, and he's like okay, so he likes to eat this, and you'll also need to talk to him. You'll need to tell him he is a good cat. You'll need to tell him that you love him. And Worf is hysterical. He's like, I will feed him. <laughs> yes. It's a beautiful moment. It's sort of like, I kind of yeah. want to go now and find all the scenes like that where we just show like a growing, a growing humanity or a growing uh, 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 pathos, I suppose, between uh, Worf and Data. Because I'm wondering if there are a lot of those that we've missed to this point. I was wrong about the smell. That is not new work core. Turns out it is interphasic parasites. Do not worry, though. You kind of get used to it. Oh, Data. Oh, Data. All right, so let's see. He's hijacked the ship. Yep. Uh, He's been brainwashed by his brother. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he stabbed Deanna I'm sorry, this what, week. Oh, I was going to say, which episode was that? But yeah, you're right. Uh, this one, this one, <laughs> the one right we're here. On now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he has done everything, but he's still good old lovable Data, who has a job at the end of the show. And uh, by the way, did we mention he dreams? Yeah, he dreams because we learned that in Birthright, and then we promptly forgot it that he dreams only in part one. Don't, don't, it doesn't even merit a mention in part two. <laughs> right. But in part one, we, we reveal that he dreams. And um, even even if we just sort of blow that off and say, well, he dreams, but it's just a bit of programming. It's just a little mechanical thing that Dr. Sung put in there. And now he's woken up that part of his programming. Um, he, he's capable of abstract thought because the dreams here, as you pointed out, you know, the, the creatures aren't things that we're communicating with data's brain is putting ways to wrap a concept around what these creatures are doing. So he's abstractly thinking about what these, uh, what these creatures are and what they're doing. Um, Oh, and another interesting thing here, he's really worried about his dreaming. He's very concerned about his dreaming. In fact, worried to the point of distraction about his dreaming, this android who has no emotions, um, but just wanted to to park that there. Um, well, I mean, hold on yeah. a second, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he would be concerned if that he was not functioning properly if he ran a self-diagnostic and something came back incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now he's running self-diagnostics and everything's coming back fine, but obviously there's still something wrong. Is Is the problem that you have... I mean, as far as the whole emotion thing, is it just the whole, he doesn't have emotions, but he shows emotions? I mean, is that what your concern is? Or is your concern that he should actually just be like, oh, everything's fine, even though I'm having these weird dreams and I you know, nearly killed one of my coworkers? <laughs> no, he has a very furrowed brow. Yeah. And and Deanna, I mean, Deanna is saying, like, look, you, you're worried. You are concerned about this. And it's not just concern like, oh, I'm not functioning correctly and I should take myself offline. I mean, remember, he has done that before. He was like, I'm just going to remove myself from my duties here because mm-hmm. I'm not performing correctly. This is, is like a, a look of consternation where he is really concerned about what's going on, not just like I need to go get an oil change. Okay, kind of thing. but you you actually pointed out earlier in this episode he does things by mimicry. You asked in mm-hmm. uh, in Gambit um, when mm-hmm. he ends up taking over the Enterprise, do we really need to be him to be the hard nosed uh, captain? And mm-hmm. I pointed mm-hmm. out that most of the captains that we've seen him under are fairly hard nosed in certain situations, and so he's learned from that, right? Mm-hmm. He's been around mm-hmm. people for 20-something years now, probably over 30, actually, because wasn't it 26 years before he came to the Enterprise? And we've been there with him for um, at least six right. or seven. Right. So right. he's Going been around. Full seven, yeah. Right. So he's been around people for 31 years. And also, he's, although we forget this regularly, um, mm-hmm. he's got the memories of a lot of the people from uh, well, whatever planet he was on, where the crystalline entity came and uh, <laughs> right. hoovered everybody up. Yeah. So, I mean... We're getting so close to the end now that do we need to start re-examining our own thoughts on whether or not Data has emotions? Because just because he mm. shows them doesn't mean anything. He yawned before he went to sleep. Well, was he tired? No. But he yawned before he went to sleep because that's what you do. When there is something that's supposed to be worrying you, uh, you furrow your brow. And so you yeah, go ahead and he, do that. He, he did that with the ship's counselor, not with, say, like a computer engineer. Yeah, but she's still, um, you know, she's still, uh, I was going to say, I was going to say human, but she's only half human. She's still mm-hmm. sentient. I mean, she's still, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. still reads, you know, cues, especially where she can't read anything off him. I mean, she may actually need the visual aid. <laughs> well, maybe so. Maybe so. So uh, the, the Freud stuff is interesting. I The more I watched the episode, the more I enjoyed that interaction. Hmm. Um but then I, I wondered if we really learned anything about dreams, or I, I guess more to my concern, Data's dreams. I mean, it, it's another mechanical effect in this case. You know, Data is being directly affected by the alien infestation because he is some. It is really not important how, but but there is a physical process that's happening on board that is making his dream programs fire in a way that they don't normally fire, but they're actually being helpful. They're actually kind of 
allowing him to put together the pieces of the puzzle, which is a very human thing and is right along the lines of what Freud describes that the, the dream state is sort of putting together the pieces, allowing him to work through these problems. I, I, I don't know that we, like, I found all that to be very interesting and I found all of that to be a, a, a nice little kind of glossed over entry point into what Freud had to bring to the the world of psychoanalysis mm-hmm. but i but i did wonder if that really because we we spend so little time actually concerned or interested in data's abilities <laughs> you know <laughs> right. we, we introduce these incredible things about data but then we don't actually go anywhere they're just like well okay uh this thing worked this week because it worked for data and thank goodness because everybody would have turned into a little puddle of chemicals by the end of the episode if he had not figured that out but then we will forget about this again by next week because that's that's what we do we simply forget about it so well we're running out of weeks so yeah of course it's almost time to forgive them for that because you're like you know well they're not gonna remember this next week and it's like well there's no show next week yeah Yeah. right right (laughs) because (laughs) all good things and what what um yeah actually you you well I guess we are supposed to assume that data is having, um, what did you say? Some kind of thought. I'm losing the word right now. That he's abstract. Abstract thought. He's having abstract thought. Yeah, yeah. We actually don't know enough about Sung's dream program, though, to know whether he's having abstract thought or whether Sung just, like, you know, programmed in a bunch of dream imagery and, you know, data isn't able to access it because it's written as sort of a subroutine that happens when he's asleep. He's meant to not understand his dreaming, but we don't actually know if he's having the abstract thought or if Sung is having the abstract thought or if he just picked up a, a Freudian, you know, book of dream interpretation or a, or a new mm. age book of dream interpretation for that matter. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> chucked it into the scanner and it's like, okay, so when you're dreaming about those weird parasites, um, it'll be 20th century laborers. I actually, what I found myself wondering about was those images themselves and how they mm-hmm. were chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind going through some of them really quickly? No, I love it because I, I had some thoughts and questions about some of these. So, okay. Yeah, just right. uh, let's, let's knock them out. So yeah. the early 20th century laborers mm-hmm. as the mindless things eating away at the ship and at the people, mm-hmm. they offended me um, huh. as, as an image the way... Um, the crew's response to Ralph Offenhaus, L.Q., Sonny Clemens, and the insufferable Claire Raymond offended me as mm. well. Now, I remember you, like, I mean, like, like Riker was treating these people from the 20th century as the neutral zone. Is that the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Sure was. Huh. Yeah. Good job. Pinner Good rose job. on me. Yeah, we've only been talking about it for six seasons. So, really. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, the, uh, so, Riker especially, although Picard as well. Um, really just had no time for these people from the 20th century, had absolutely no respect for the fact that they were from whom they were evolved in a way, if not physically evolved, then at the very least, you know, uh, emotionally, spiritually, culturally, however you want to say it. I mean, they were their precursors, not in a direct line, but right. 20th century people came before 24th century people. And so you got to figure, you know, there's there's some line you can draw between the two. When we get to this thing where there are just these mindless things eating away at the Enterprise, mm-hmm. we don't see them as Cro-Magnon men. We don't see them as apes. We don't see them as little bugs scurrying around. We see them as laborers. Yeah. We see them as people who, who you know, get down in the dirt. We see them as people who can handle a, a hammer or a pickaxe or, or a crowbar, right? That's mindless. Yeah. And maybe I'm reaching, except I don't think I am reaching because this whole episode is about dream interpretation. And so if the whole episode is about dream interpretation, I want to know why we're choosing the things that we're choosing. And I don't really like if it was Dr. Sung who put in that definition, then I don't like Dr. Sung's thinking about laborers. If, if it's data who's making that interpretation, I don't like data's interpretation about it. Or if it was just the writer who said, eh, what's, a, what's a good mindless thing? Oh, I know. People who dig ditches. Mm-hmm. I actually, actually found mm-hmm. myself like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not overly offended, but it's like, okay, if we're going to have an episode where you're encouraged to look at things and see what the real meaning is behind those things, then I got to ask myself, why is a menial laborer destruction? Why is that bad? 
why is that a right. thing right. Uh, that's leading to everybody's ruin? Okay, agreed. So <laughs> next, <laughs> well, well, I, I want to get through the other oh, okay. uh, the, the other okay. images because uh, I, I think these are these are interesting. Well, this yeah. is a fun one to me, although it's kind of weird. Um, I'm curious why there was a ringing phone. Um, That was already starting to be antiquated in the mid-90s. Not phones, certainly, because we still had landlines up until, well, some people still do, but Mm -hmm. they were still common at least until 10 years ago as we record this, maybe a bit further than that. But most of them didn't ring like a telephone anymore. They had some sort of electronic, you know, chirp or something like that. Um, I thought it would have been fun, actually, to have a 23rd century communicator in Data's Torso. So, Mm, like, play, play the TOS sound. Yeah, like repeatedly, and people don't even know what that is necessarily. And then to have them sort of, because Data knows exactly how to handle a telephone. And I'll grant you, he's been watching a lot of silent movies, (laughs) but (laughs) I don't know exactly why Data knows exactly how to do that. Um, I mean, and I guess you could say, well, it's shorthand for the people watching in the 20th century, which we were at the time. But I was just, it struck me as kind of an odd thing. Well, and I thought it was particularly odd that Picard was the first one to recognize the ringing. He was the one who said, oh, that sounds like an old telephone. Like, really? No, that, no it's Riker. Riker actually yelled at him in one of his dream states. Oh, well, we, uh, Riker in the dream does, but, but Picard, real Picard, when they're walking around in the holodeck version of Data's dream. You know, Picard is real Picard. He's not dream Picard. And he's guys, oh, it sounds like a telephone. Okay, but, and, but then you have to argue the first person to actually recognize it is Data. Because he's dreaming about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but Data's got the database? <laughs> uh, like that? You like that? Oh, uh-huh. I smell a t-shirt. Uh, <clears throat> to be able to pick that up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But Picard, that's essentially, the, that's like you going like, oh, I recognize that sound. That's a, a 17th century lute, you know, and just like, oh, okay, sure. Because that's <laughs> a thing that you would know what that sounds like. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Although it was a French phone and Picard is French. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Even though nobody knows what France is except for the Picard family. Everybody right. else like, what? They were yeah. nations with flags and they made wine. And, yeah. and pay no attention to the accent. Um, the straw coming out of Riker's head is just spot on, but I love it. Absolutely. Uh, the cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. Uh, somebody was a Tom Petty fan. I don't know who, but uh, was it Don't Come Around Here No More? I've had that song in my That's head right. all week preparing for this episode because, and for people who don't know, there used to be these things called music videos. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Sorry. There was a place called MTV where you could watch music videos instead of just, you know, videotape of people. breaking parts of their body doing stupid stunts Uh, if you haven't seen the video for don't come around here no more um, it basically ends it's sort of Alice in Wonderland and it ends with uh, all the characters from Alice in Wonderland cutting up the cake that is Alice I mean it's Mm -hmm. it's lifted straight from that video for this Mm -hmm. except Alice wasn't wearing a blue counselor's uniform and I guess the last question I had was uh, like Freud you were interested in the Freud stuff. I was kind of bothered by the Freud stuff because it seemed to me to be immediately like just a comic book version of Freud. But sure, sure. Is he the symbol of ultimate authority as far as things having to do with the brain? Is he just, you know, shorthand so that, you know, we understand what we're talking about here? Because you could have put a, you know, Carl Jung impersonator up there, uh, mm-hmm. except we all know what Freud looks like. And I couldn't pick Carl Jung out of a lineup. Right. I mean, are we using Freud because, ah, yes, it's very Freudian or are we using Freud because it's like uh, we need a psychiatrist, but we need everybody to know that that's exactly what we're talking about. Well, I I think your answer is all of the above. You you have to have somebody who's recognizable to the audience, but you might as well go back to the creator of the field Mm -hmm. and somebody who was particularly concerned with dream imagery. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the the right pick in terms of you're going to go with a psychoanalyst, then you probably need to go with him. Um, Now, uh, okay, if it's a more modern problem and you've got Jordy picking people out of a a holodeck lineup, he's going to go with Leah Brahms because she designed the Enterprise's engines as opposed to like Zephram Cochran, who's going to be a couple hundred years out of date, Mm. Um, you know, but or more than a couple hundred years out of date. But I I get it. I I think Freud is the right choice here. But the interesting problem we face with the Freud character is. Well, this is all a creation of Data's brain. 
Right. So it's based on whatever programming data has about Dr. Freud. Um, the, the other part of it is that we, we do get to a point where they're interfacing with the enterprise computer is the enterprise computer synthesizing that information to show what it shows to Picard. Oh, it shouldn't be because, I mean, aren't they basically just using the holodeck as a monitor at that point? All right. So it was purely in playback mode. Right. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I hope so. Anyway. Yeah. 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 You know, though, it's interesting since all of this is being created from Data's head. Mm-hmm. This episode could have been called for a few Data's more. Oh. And then, yeah. like, the workers are Data and and Freud is Data no, and the little things no, like it's no, like oh it's no. well it would have been a production nightmare and um <laughs> i think we would have hated it but yeah. uh it would have tied in with the war core work underway and the interphasic parasites send to play with the puppies it is time to see what we can take from phantasms fewer and fewer times to do this with this particular crew of uh, well actually this particular cast these characters from Star Trek but it's the part of the show where we look at the messages, morals and meanings of the episode and figure out whether the episode stood the test of time this episode John, for a few data's more I'm sorry, no phantasms, phantasms John uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned well all right, so here's the thing. We're here again with an episode very late in the run of Next Gen, which is pretty inconsequential as mm-hmm. far as the big picture goes. So do we really learn much about the characters? Do we learn much about Star Trek's vision of the future? Do we have a statement about humanity? Um, no, I'm just going to say that we have none of those things in this episode because, well, we already learned that Data dreams. This doesn't really add anything to the idea that Data dreams. Um, everybody's just like, oh, yeah, there, there goes the robot dreaming again. Um, so there, there's nothing in there. But but this is a really memorable, creepy episode if you like the occasional dip into horror. And I do. I, I like stretching the Star Trek format a bit to see what happens. And where the comedy works, it really works. It doesn't work everywhere. It, it feels mm-hmm. like they're really trying to force it in some places. But where it works, it really does work. Um, this is another case where it would have been cool to plant this episode much earlier in the series. So then the deeper idea of Data having dreams could have had more important payoff later on. We could have actually learned something about Data through that. Um, yeah, I see, even the... You mentioned the the Starfleet Admirals dinner earlier, and, and mm-hmm. it's stuff like that that it, it just feels like in the writing here, there's a cool core of an idea, and then they have to stretch to fit time. And and it just feels like whether it's the Admirals dinner or or even the thing with Spot, but the thing with Spot totally works. It feels like they're just inventing business because a better idea wasn't available right away to plug into the script. Hmm. So I feel like it's it is a problematic episode just from a writing standpoint. It's very inconsistent in what we get out of it. Um, but it's actually it's well produced. I love all the the distorted like fisheye lens stuff and the steady cam uh shots that we get in this episode. Um I, I think overall, there's a lot of production value here, and the creepy imagery sticks with you no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that even though it's not a great episode of Star Trek, it actually does hold up as a piece of TV, as a production. Um, I think the acting's fine. I think the imagery is well chosen. I think the mood is set pretty well, even though it takes me out of it when we have another joke about the admirals. Um, mm-hmm. I think overall it, 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 it kind of holds up. Um, so what about you? Yeah, I think I actually like it more than you do. Um, yeah, yeah there's no, there's no Star Trek message as you say, mm-hmm. I don't think in this episode, or at least not one that I can pick up. And there may be a few that you can, you know, throw in, but, um, 
I mean, I'll start with what's problematic for me. The comedy in this episode, I think, doesn't work. And it's not that it's not funny, because it is funny, but it's almost like you're watching a drama, and then you flip over really quickly to watch a little bit of Monty Python, and then you yeah. flip over again to watch the drama, right? Yep. Um, I think mostly the comedy that they try works, but it doesn't belong here, with the exception of Data's talk with Worf about Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that actually shows, that shows a, in a weird way, that shows a deepening of the relationship between Worf and Data. Now, it's quite possible the reason that that was between Worf and Data as opposed to anyone else in Data is because that's going to play funniest. Because it really, I mean, it really, I mean, that that lands well because of, of Michael Dorn's delivery of the line, I will feed him. Right. I, mean, that's, I mean, that's why right. that works. So you right. can't have that with any other character. Plus, every other character in this episode had, you know, had more to do. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Dorn really was here for comedy in this episode for the most part. Um, the stuff about the dreams is really where this like sings for me because it gives us something to play with. And I think I said either last year, uh, last year, it felt like last year, I either said <laughs> last week or a couple of episodes ago, I can't remember which, like if you give me like something to really chew on morally, then I'll do that. If all you give me a story, then that's all I've got to play with. Mm. They gave us a ton of stuff to play here. Um, I found myself considering my own dreams, as we talked about earlier. Some of them are very vivid, right? And I felt plenty of times that those dreams are just saying, dude, dude, seriously, dude, dude, right? <laughs> Not all of them, but that's what, that's what a lot of them have felt like to me. So there was that to think about. Additionally, there was the opportunity to think about the dream imagery that was presented. And um, then there was a chance to think about dream interpretation, Sometimes a straw is just a straw, and sometimes, you know, when it's sticking out of somebody's head, it might be something else. As I talked about earlier, too, I did find myself disagreeing with some of the dream images, like, you know, what they chose to represent other things. But even that is a mental exercise, and so this just gave me just a whole lot of stuff to have fun with. Um, Is it a great episode? No, it is not. But it gave me room to play. And going back to what I was saying a minute ago, this episode is kind of like recess. I mean, if we're not going to have a lesson, then, you know, let's go and exercise. And and that's what I felt like this episode allowed me to do anyway. So I got to say, like, personally, uh, for me, it did, it did hold up. Yeah. And, and it holds. I was just talking to somebody the other night about uh, favorite and least favorite episodes of Star Trek. And I remember that in season three of TOS, we got to the Tholian web. And I got to that one with a lot of anticipation because it's so memorable because of the imagery and it just has this weird, dark tone to it. But at the end of it, I felt like it, the, there just wasn't anything there for me to really hang on to. It's kind of plodding and slow and, and there wasn't much there. This, the imagery is kind of a similar thing. The imagery really sticks with me. I had a lot of anticipation because I remembered all of that going into this. Mm-hmm. But then the more and more I watched it, with this one, I was still entertained, you know, um, even if there wasn't a message there. Well, I'm saying that there wasn't a message there, but but maybe you found some messages. So what what, what do you think? Well, I don't think there's like one of the great big Star Trek messages. I mean, you know, save the whales, drugs are bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of things I took away from it. Um, don't get locked into one interpretation of events. Mm-hmm. Freud says one thing, Troy says another thing, the truth, uh, the truth ends up being like a third thing, mm-hmm. actually. Um, also, making new things out of other things is kind of an interesting idea. It is experience plus a couple of different interpretations that actually get us out of trouble, which was, uh, I mean, it was kind of fun to think about. I mean, there's no, but no, there's no, you know, don't lock up your emotions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lesson that we've learned time and time again, uh, Starfleet admirals are, at best, insufferable bores. Yes. Uh, their their food is uninteresting. They're walking around shaking hands, you know, uh, having uninteresting conversation. Um, you would rather be stuck in a lifeless spaceship in the middle of space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Well, I... Yeah, I was going to sort of the lesson I, I would phrase that is uh, let inconvenience ultimately be to your benefit mm. mm-hmm. yours are better than mine i quit <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. There's a lot happening at Roddenberry Entertainment. Uh, we've got podcasts. Yes, we do. Yes, we've yes. We've got uh, podcasts. How about you? You may have heard of Mission Log, uh, hopefully. You may have heard of Women at Warp, and you may have heard of Priority One. And if you want to give all three of those a shot, go to podcast.roddenberry.com. And while you're there, hit up Roddenberry.com. You can see what else Roddenberry Entertainment is up to these days. If you want to help support our show directly, the way to do that is patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Dark Page. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I would give $1,000 to hear Ken's dream. Now, I just need someone to tell me what a dollar is, and how I get 1,000 of them. And transmission. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.